Welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bymel. The Real Estate Lowdown is your weekly opportunity to step into the conversations going on in today's real estate and mortgage markets. We explore terms and concepts of the industry, post interviews of intriguing industry cohorts from high net worth investors to real estate agents just making their mark. We will share our love of all things real estate, bringing you the most innovative and sustainable real estate lifestyle ideas each and every week. If you enjoy what you hear today, hit the follow button, subscribe, so you don't miss an episode, and please share your support with a quick review. You can find me on the web at billbymel.com, and thanks for joining this episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. Donette Baldacci, welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. It's good to have you here. Thanks for being here. We record on Zoom for my audience's information, so I get to see my guests, even though we don't share that with our audience, and you have a beautiful Christmas tree, so you're really getting me into the holiday spirit, and I just want to thank you for that. Perfect. I can play some music, too. Maybe we'll do some jingles here at the end. Let's start by telling my audience a little bit about you. I'm going to read your bio to them because when I heard a suggestion of getting to know you and having you on the podcast, I jumped on it. You are the managing attorney of Idea Law Group. And for the past 23 years, your practice has focused on creditors' rights and issues, comprehensive default services, business, and real estate. During your career, Donette, you've represented banks and servicers in residential and commercial real estate, default, collection, loss mitigation, structured settlement transfers, and litigation matters in Wyoming and South Dakota. Is that where you are, by the way? I am in Wyoming right now. Yes, that's where I live. Oh, well, okay, good. Well, we we have a lot to talk about there as well. (laughs) So you operated and established and managed operations for law firms, consolidated business units, which were central default services, openings, foreclosure process, bankruptcy evictions in New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Panama City, Panama. You're licensed to practice law in Wyoming and South Dakota. Are those states kind of the, the they, what do they call when they work together and reciprocity? Uh, reciprocity, kind of. I did not have to sit for a second bar exam. So, oh, yeah. that's good. Okay. <laughs> that's what I meant. There you go. <laughs> that's the key is how many bars have you had to do? And now, an idea law group, I think you started as another firm. Let me give a little background. I mean, it's just really, Great to, I love the law. I mean, I have to love the law when you're an investor in lawsuits, which is basically what we do, right? <laughs> I mean, I hate to ever advertise it as such, but at the, you know, in the actuality, that's what we're buying most of the time. So I've had an affinity for the law my whole life, you know, what got you into it? Well, I have not really had an affinity for the law <laughs> So you and I can switch places if you want. Well, I initially got into law. Well, actually, my whole life, I thought I was going to be an attorney. It just not so much interested in law, but more interested in business. I just maybe didn't know the difference between the two. Loved school, 
would still be in school, but my husband cut that off 30 years ago, said, you're done going to school. So pick a career that you're going to keep. And one that makes money too. And one that makes money. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably (laughs) the most important part. I forgot about that part of the conversation. And so I went to law school. Um, I was originally a high school English teacher. I went to law school and again, loved school. Didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, but Worked for a general practice firm for several years, loved personal injury, hated family law, and then had an opportunity many years ago to get into the banking or creditor's rights aspect of the law. And the rest really is history. That's primarily all I've done with my career since that time. Wow. And, you know, it's interesting. There are so many types of law. And, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say I have an affinity for the law. But I actually considered going back to law school about five years ago before I moved to California. And I applied to UCLA Law School and they were very, you know, talked to the dean. They were interested in having me. And then I realized the golden rule. And I think the original thought was, oh, I'm going to go to law school. You know, I, I know the law so well already. It'll be a piece of cake. And, you know, I loved listening to when in the rare occasion, that the Supreme Court or a high appeals court, federal appeals court will allow an argument to be live streamed. You know, I'm always listening to that. Like, remember when Bush v. Gore and things like that? I I love the conversations with it. And I also spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on lawyers. But that was probably one of the big motivators. It was like, I'm going to law school because I'll cut back on my legal bills. And then I realized the golden rule, which is any, you know, that the, they say that anyone who represents themselves has a fool for a client. So I knew I was going to have to spend the legal bills, even with a law degree. And I definitely don't have the time nor inclination to go back and be a bookworm. So I'm just going to continue to get my legal love from conversations with with smart attorneys like you. Well, that's perfect then. What about creditors' rights attracted you to it? I mean, was it on the, first of all, was that on the creditor side of the business? I know you bought some business from a friend of ours in the North Pacific Northwest. There was some stuff there that was you know, it's kind of like been on both sides. What aspect have you really specialized in over the years? Really, the creditor side on the real estate front. So initially, after the personal injury general law firm, I was at a firm that did exclusively default, large firm, lots of default work. All I mean, and that was back, you know, 2005 to th- 2013. So there was a lot happening in the industry over the course of those few years. And that's really when the firm I was, it was specifically a default firm, but I had the opportunity within that firm to grow the business units, right? Like a consolidated uh, bankruptcy unit or a consolidated eviction unit. Those, So I was able to use the, the skills that I like or that I have within the legal realm. And so after that left and went to a, another large, very general practice firm, huge oil and gas division and huge creditors rights division. Again, I found myself in the creditors rights real estate realm, um, primarily though in commercial 
litigation and default. Also did a lot of loan origination, helped banks individually with loan origination. So I kind of got to see the other side of the coin from my previous position. And then, you know, when COVID hit, my partner Jennifer Rogers and I were brought together by a series of fortunate events, we like to say, and we thought it would be a great idea to start a firm because we didn't have anything else to do. You know, because and all the courts were closed, so might as well. Yeah, all the courts closed. I mean, there was a a moratorium on foreclosure, so we thought time to get in. And so we both had some, you know, some banking clients. I have two clients that have been with me since 2000, so they have followed me with these three firms. You know, and other ones have come and gone and come back over the years. And so, so we. Shortly after we opened our doors, you know, because that's my air quotes, because it was virtual. We were we had the opportunity to assume the operations of the the firm that you were you the the default foreclosure default operations of the firm that you uh, previously mentioned, which really kickstarted us, I think, into into where we are. We immediately applied for our GSE no objections. We you know it, it just really kickstarted us from where we had intended to grow organically. So now you are. It was a great idea. Is that how you came up with the name Ideal? No, actually, Idea is an acronym. Oh, Inclusion, Diversity, Equality, and Access. And we originally started this venture trying to be different in the space, right? We didn't want to be a foreclosure mill. We didn't want to be a general practice firm. We wanted to be a firm that stood out in a space that additionally has a very, all the firms look the same. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, so. it's all the it depends on who throws the better party, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And what we want to do to do is throw the better legal advice, right? There that's, you go. You know, that was our goal, and we well, believe the diversification really helps that. Well, along those lines, along the inclusion and diversity lines, you are a women-owned business, and. Right. And, you know, there, my most recent episode that just dropped today on on the day that we're recording this is with Bliss Morris, who is a, a trailblazer for women in our business. For those, you know, you know, as someone who worked for the FDIC, you know, and just kind of stumbled into loan sale advisory, and now 40 years later is really, you know, is is the other women-owned, another women-owned business that really has a foothold in the market. I guess that's kind of somebody that you, it's very prescient, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I acknowledge you obviously for what's that like? I mean, you know, is it, have you seen benefits from that? Do you, have you been confronted? I mean, I know you, ideas only been around for what now two, just going over two years. What's it been like? Uh, Three years. It was three years in October. No, great. I'd be so, yeah, thank you. We've seen both sides of it, right? We definitely check boxes for some people, right? We definitely check boxes by utilizing a women-owned firm or per, for a particular loan set, right, that requires diversification in the vendor pool. We check those boxes. I don't think we, to my knowledge at least, and I'm not sure I would ever be privy to the fact that we would lose work because we were women owned. I don't know how I would know that. Right. Um, but one of, the, one of the things that we've seen the most and or that stands out the most, I should say, is when we are on a meeting or a call 
with multiple other firms in our industry, our attorneys and our culture, the culture of our firm stands out. Our attorneys are very willing to get involved. They're very knowledgeable in their subject areas. It's there's not a an air of I'm smarter or I'm better or I know I'm the smartest guy in the room. You know, we we just don't have that. We have more of a how can I help you? And that's just a different culture. Wow, that really says a lot about you. We joked about it a minute ago, then that that you bought a law firm, you and your female partner, your Jennifer, and you bought a law firm in the midst of COVID when the law when the courts were closed. And and it and you've obviously had some great success inside of that. But then in addition to the, that you're we're also talking about a time in history of the default space. We're really coming off of the lowest default rates in in known recorded time, right? So, you know, did you forecast for this when you bought in? Did you <laughs> no, no short answer? We did not forecast for this when we bought in. So when we decided to do this during COVID, you know, all joking aside, we we knew there were established firms in our industry that were struggling. So there were some legacy business items, right, that we didn't have. We didn't have massive, fantastic office spaces that we had to negotiate rent on. We did not have people that we had to furlough or lay off or anything like that. So we we thought that was a distinct advantage with what we were trying to do. We we were able to to start our firm with a hybrid work model with with a lot of things that were cost cutting measures. We were able to start that way versus trying to have to shrink down to that. So we thought that that was definitely a a benefit. We also thought though that default would pick up sooner than it has. But Clearly, that has not happened. And so what it's forced us to do, and again, I used forced kind of tongue in cheek because it's been fantastic, is to explore other markets, markets that we did not initially think that we would be in. You know, for example, we do we have a whole department that does due diligence work. So when investors are buying loan pools, they can send their portfolio to us and we can do the due diligence, flip it around to them and say, hey, you know, this is what's so we we didn't do any of that. We had we had not done any of that. We didn't plan on doing that, but it turns out it's been a, you know, it's work we love. Who knew? You know, who knew? And I think it's it's helpful work. And we we're also able then to save ourselves some headache down the road when we get those loans back on on default, you know, so, so it's really caused us and there are several other examples. It's caused us to be able to expand or be forced to expand our, what we offer versus where we initially thought we were going to go. That's not to say that we, you know, on a, on a professional level, right. Whatever the market does is out of our control and we just have to be along for the ride. You know, personally, I love the fact that it's the lowest default rates. Professionally, you know, it's also been a challenge. Yeah, I totally get that. I mean, I sit there all the time and I hate to smile when I hear about rising default rates or people upside down or, you know, not being able to refinance because you don't want anyone, you don't want to ever succeed off of someone else's misery. But the reality is, is that there's always a situation of, of stress in any market. So why not have, 
you know, and that's the market that we play well in. And I think we also take the perspective that we bring a level of class to the default market. And it's that's what it sounds like with you as well, is that you can do default services and still be a human. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's part of our, our culture, right? Is And we have a couple of attorneys who are, are much more eloquent at verbalizing that, specifically one of our New Mexico attorneys. You know, she shows up at hearings with borrowers that are in default and you have to, I mean, there's an element of humanness, even though we deal with the business side of it, right? There's an element of, of humanity that that, that we believe it has to be handled professionally. And, you know, it's at the end of the day, our clients are handling it professionally. And so we, we're their representative. We have to do the same. So that was a great segue into what, you know, a lot of what the folks that listen to all my podcast already, and we hope that we're making an encyclopedia of good stuff for the future. But a lot of folks are investors like myself. And they may only invest in, you know, a couple of notes or, you know, real estate investors. They might be other asset classes. What is some advice or some anything off the top of your head that, you know, you could advise an investor, someone who sits as a potential client Mm -hmm. in terms of ways to to look at their, you know, at their deals or ways to interact with you as a law firm, any pitfalls, any, any good nuggets of, I mean, I know I'm kind of like really putting you on the spot here, <laughs> but you know, I, mean, I always want to like, you know, I'm, I'm always about self-development. So it's like, what, how can I be a better client to a, to a, to an attorney like yourself? Well, I think two, two things come to mind, right? Number one is be an informed buyer, right? Like right. know what it knew, know what it is that you're purchasing, because even if there are problems down the road, at least you know about them. Mm. I just think that's that's critical, no matter what level you're you're buying at or or selling at, right? Due diligence no, is so important. It, it really is. And then I think the second thing, and you and I kind of joked about it earlier, is is don't be afraid to reach out for help, whether it's, you know, I, if, in my world, I know you had a, you know, the, about when you represent yourself, a little quip about that earlier in my world, I tell people don't ever, don't ever not spend money on an accountant or an attorney, because that's where it'll come back to, you know, to bite you. And so, so I think the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to reach out. We have a ton of Maybe someday clients, investors that call us and just say, I have a situation. What do you think? And we love that because we love the problem solving, or even if we can't solve the problem, we can at least brainstorm ideas of what can be done. And so I just think, you know, don't be afraid to to reach out because I, sometimes it just saves you a lot of headache down the road. That's great. And it's great that you're open to that kind of thing, you know, and I see it, you know, I'm a pay it forward kind of guy. That's why I do this podcast. That's why I do my webinars. I put information out there. I try to teach because by teaching, I learn I'm more informed. I'm better at my craft. Uh, 
you know, and what you say there, it's so great to know that they, that somebody who has an issue with something maybe in Wyoming or something, a lot of the states that you're in, I just haven't owned a lot in. So we haven't been able to spend a lot of time, as much time together as I'd like as an attorney client. But that's a key thing, having an open door, because it plants seeds for future clientele, like you said. And it really does. And it also, you know, we're at our firm, we're very into thinking outside the box, but within the law. Right. And so, so sometimes it's not a legal solution that we even provide. It's more of a practical, Hey, have you thought about this? And sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. You just need a good idea. Exactly. <laughs> we just wrote the script of your next commercial. Oh. Okay. Well, it's New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, Utah, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Panama. It's just exciting stuff. I never, well, not never, never is an absolute word, but I always ask my guests before we sign off if they have any bold predictions for the future. Here we are at the end of 2023. And the reason I say that is because this is a podcast. It's going to go out there in the universe. And for the rest of your life, it's going to be out there as an insight, hopefully an encyclopedia to listeners about the history and state of the world of real estate, law and capital markets, everything like that. So if you sat here with your crystal ball in December of 2023, any bold predictions? I mean, it doesn't even have to be real estate related. Maybe you could just predict that you're going to be a great grandmother or something, which you probably don't want. <laughs> you're way I too am young for a that. great grandmother. I'm a fantastic one, actually. Yes, so. okay. <laughs> I'm sure you are. I can tell by the the how beautiful that Christmas tree is. Any predictions? I don't think this is a prediction as much as an observation. I think that a lot of us, myself included, have waited with bated breath since since COVID for to get back to normal. Right. Um, again, my air quotes, back to normal. And the reality is, I think this is normal. You know, we're we're just in a new normal, uncharted territory, and I think we have to embrace it and and figure it out. You know, I don't know that we're ever going to get back to pre-COVID numbers, whatever that means. I don't even know. And I think we should stop trying, quite frankly. I think we should say, let's live today Mm. and reflect, you know, maybe you and I can do the same thing next next December and or have a glass of wine or something and say, hey, you know, gosh, look how far we've come in the in the next next year or the last year. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I agree a hundred percent. You know, I'm kind of getting tired of COVID being the excuse and just the temporary reason for everything, you know, it, or the or the standard that we compare everything right, to. Right, right. The the world has changed and this is the new normal. And the past is the past and it is what it is. And in order to really create newly into 2024 and beyond, the slate should be clean. Let's not live from a future created by our past experiences. Let's accept well what we're at. Yeah. Very so. well said. Okay. I love it. Well, Donette, it's been great to get to know you. I am going to take you up on that. We'll have you back next year for another episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. And Of course, uh, thank you for having me. Happy holidays. That's a wrap of today's episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. 
I enjoy bringing this content to you each and every week, and I really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't already done so, please share the Real Estate Lowdown or any episode, any favorite episode with your friends, family, and you know, if you don't mind, leave a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us so you don't do get notified every time a new episode is released. Love to hear from you directly at billbymel.com. Till then, see you next time.